You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Episode 162 of Locked On Browns. Uh, guys, again, as always, I cannot thank you enough for the support. You know, each episode, each week, we keep growing, we keep growing. It, it, it's a good thing for me. Uh, you guys have been fantastic. Uh, we're going to continue, obviously, with the draft stuff, guys. I will can get to free agency, but it is so tough until we finally get to the point of knowing the names that are going to be available. We'll spend way too much time speculating on a guy that will never reach free agency. So we're going to continue with the draft. Look, we know who's in that dance. That's what we're going to stick with here. Uh, joining us this evening from Pro Football Focus, from Pro Football, uh, Pro Football uh, Focus College Edition, Josh Liskovich. Uh, Josh, uh, first off, so much uh, thanks for coming on here. Uh, I know all the work that you guys do over there. It is a great product that you guys put out. You know, I know some guys, it seems like the PFF jokes that used to be, you know, each year they, they die less and less. I mean, for me, knowing guys like you and obviously Jordan and all the work that you guys do, I, I've always, it's, it's funny because, like, people poke fun of it. For me, it was always like, you know, I always ended up like, wow, wow, the bull whatever they're saying, you know, it always seemed to coincide with the guy that I was high on. So, I, you know, I understand you, I respect you guys' work, and it's just funny how it all, for me, I, it kind of relates to, you know, to what I see. You know, obviously I'm not spending, you know, 30 views on one rep that you guys may some do on, you know, whether it's a Sunday night game or any given Saturday or Sunday. But, uh, A, how you doing? And, B, thanks so much for the work that you guys do. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate that. Uh, happy, happy to be on your show, man. Uh, it, you know, we've been on you know, some other things in the past, so it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, before we get into it, I want you to talk a little bit, you know, on the state of the Browns. You know, it, it, obviously, 0-16, pretty much everyone to a man that's come out of the show doesn't feel that the team was an 0-16 team. And as much promise as there is for the 18 season, it's a damn difficult schedule because this is now an AFC West. You're playing all four of those teams. You're playing all four of the teams of the NFC South. So, look, upgrades can be made, and this team could win four or five games that could look really, really good. But some people are, you know, going to poo-poo on it and not realize the level of competition that is, you know, you know, I, uh, Cleveland's going to face this year. But give me, you know, overall where you felt the roster was towards the end of 17 and, you know, what was brought in, obviously, before Sashi was passed on early December. Yeah, I, I, obviously, there's a lot that still needs to be done. Uh, really, the entire linebacking core is an issue. They only have one pass rusher, the number one overall pick from last year. Uh, if, if you look at what they did this year, they're missing a couple guys in the secondary. On the offensive side of the ball, there are a lot of pieces there that you can get on board with. Um, in particular, obviously, you got the young tight end. you got a lot of the pieces on the offensive line, of course. Quarterback's kind of a big one. Might, might need to address that. Uh, that, that, tends, that tends to uh, win or lose games for you, as uh, Browns fans certainly found out time and time again this past year. But uh, I, 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 while I think they certainly earned that 0-16 and you own it and you are an 0-16 team if that's what you go, they're not the same level of bad that the Detroit Lions were when uh, – when they went 0-16. There are, there are a number of pieces on both sides of the ball that they can work with. And they're in obviously great shape in terms of being able to acquire talent because A, they have the cap room, and B, 
they have just an insane number of uh, high draft picks. So as as rough and embarrassing as that year is, as that year was, to me, from from a guy who's draft-obsessed, uh, it's kind of a fun year, <laughs> at least a fun offseason. And that was almost the thing, because, I mean, you moved on from Sashi Brown, and, you know, obviously, you know, they made the changes that they made. I mean, who wouldn't want to come into this? I mean, it's basically sending someone to, you know, Costco or to Sam's Club and say, you can spend whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's all taken care of. So, you know, I, you know, Dorsey, and I think he's done a fantastic job, you know, with what he's done in the front office, you know, obviously bringing in, you know, people he trusts, but also bringing in enough minds where they are going to go through every single guy to, you know, almost to the point of at nauseum, where they're going to make sure that, look, you know, we're in this ride or die. Look, if we screw it up, we understand we're all on the street. But it's a blank canvas, and there's so much that can be done. I mean, you keep them on the 12 draft choices, obviously the $100 million in cap space, which is a great thing, but it is kind of hard to sell anybody free agency-wise, you know, on Cleveland right now. So, But even still, but you have enough young talent here that if you don't, even if you only spend a third of it, in a year or two, you're going to have to start talking extensions. So hopefully you still have that money as well. Um, before we get into the pass rushers, um, what I like to do with every one of you guys that come on here, you know, we all have our favorites every year. Josh, give me, you know, give me your guys. Give me three, four guys that Josh is really high on. Uh, just in general, not necessarily in terms of pass we rush. We don't need a position. Just a couple of guys that you're going to bat for come April. Oh. Uh. I'd be hard pressed to think of uh, an interior defensive lineman since Aaron Donald that I like as much as Maurice Hurst. I, he's just absolutely dominant in every single phase this past year at Michigan. He graded extremely well the year before, but because of the rotation, just didn't get as many reps and probably not as much recognition as he deserved for his 2016 season. But uh, he was our highest graded overall player and it's so hard to find interior guys that can consistently rush the passer, and he's going to do it at an extremely high level. And uh, that's a guy that, I mean, I don't think there's a system he doesn't fit. The knock that everyone wants to put on him is the size. Well, that's just absurd when you think about the success that Aaron Donald's had, the success that Geno Atkins has had. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on. There's five, six, seven, eight guys that aren't 330 pounds, six foot five, that are big time defensive interior players. And, and not to mention it with Hurst, he played nose tackle this year at Michigan. So it's not like he's just a classic three tech and that's all he was. No, he played head up on the center. You know, showed he could two gap, he can penetrate, he can do absolutely everything you'd ever want from him. So. To me, he is probably the best overall player in this draft, uh, along with your boy at Florida State. I don't think you can go wrong with either of those two guys up top. Those are definitely, in general, I would say, my two favorite players. Um, in terms of a guy that necessarily isn't at the top of the board that I really like, that I'm a huge fan of, uh, how about Rashad Penny, the San Diego State running back? I just think he can do... A little bit of everything. I don't think he's given enough credit in terms of his uh, ability as a receiver. Uh, I, I think 
anybody who says that, well, he needs a fullback to run it, that's just lazy scouting to me. I, I think he can run any scheme with power, with speed. I think he can do all of the above. Yeah, he's going to be viewed as a kick return threat early on as well. Uh, you've got all these quarter, all these uh, running backs that everyone wants to take so high, and Rashad Penny is probably going to be sitting there in the third round somewhere. That's the kind of guy that I, I love to uh, – Love to get excited about, like I did last year, about Kareem Hunt. The thing I noticed with Penny, and actually I went through today, and I tried to check out all of his receptions, and there weren't a ton of them. But when I went back and actually looked at them all, every one of them were chunks. None of them yeah. were, None of them were. you know, it, granted, you know, you have guys, you know, 35, 40 receptions a year. Penny was never that guy. But, I mean, it's a lot easier to get the 6-7 yarder than it is to get the 30-plus and turn it into a chunk play. So Penny's right there, and, you know, it'll always be the debate because you can look at guys like Elliott, Gurley, Fournette, you know, drafted extremely high. Every one of them has panned out. And that's, look, if you are where you are as a team and you think that's what's going to help you, and it kind of has, you know, team-wise and scheme-wise, but that doesn't mean there's other options further on down the line. And you look at the way most NFL teams, you know, work with the running back core. It's two to three guys, and you have your set at what you're going to do. You have your set what you're going to do. You know, option C is going to have his set what he's going to do. And look, everybody they want the running backs young anyway. So it's just, I mean, it's a coup for the league that each year the running back class seems to be deep as it is. And there's a, you know, and that's where we get the Camaras. That's where we get the Hunts. And these guys get themselves in the roles. I mean, you look at New Orleans. I mean, prime example. I mean, here was a team for years. It was Drew Brees throwing for four fifty a pop, but now it was you know a, a two running back system. You know, and Michael Thomas. Obviously, I'm not disrespecting that at all, but it was a focus on you know what we're going to use the running backs here because this is how good and this is what you know the, you know the draft is given and trickled down to us. Yeah, and that, and that was that's a great example because that was an instantaneous turnaround that they focused on the run game there. I mean, obviously, Ingram's had a couple decent years as of late, but that was just such a culture shift this year as to what they did on offense. Now, I'd like to argue that part of that is because the defense actually played well, so they're not playing from behind constantly. So, you know, that doesn't necessitate uh, Brees throwing it 60 times a game. That helps. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, you've got two guys that do a a wide variety of things. I, I think that's the way today's NFL goes. And and as far as Cleveland goes, uh, again, you have all these running backs coming out. I don't know why you would take and and, uh, give money to a free agent like Isaiah Crowell. I don't know why you would do it. You have Duke Johnson. Obviously, he certainly has his value as a receiver, really one of the best receiving backs in the league. You put a guy like Penny with him who can get all the tough yards, but he can also help in the passing game too. And, it, it, boy, I, I just think you you put guys like that together that you're uh, you're helping yourself in, in terms of a turnaround, and you're not spending a premium pick like Jacksonville did this past year. Yeah, I mean Jacksonville. The problem is, is now you still have the Blake Bortles, who you don't have much confidence in. Yep. So, I mean they're kind of still in that realm, and you know if I'm Jacksonville, just keep Blake Bortles, and I know you PFF guys, and I know you're one of them, Josh. Go ahead and find a way to sneak Mike White in. Because if you know Blake Bortles can throw a deep ball, but it seems like they love those crossing routes. So bringing a Mike White, who is a precision dart thrower, and you want to run all these crossing routes, you know, 
when Blake screws up, you throw in a Mike White and you realize, well, you know, maybe we don't need the big arms guy for what we're running. We need the more accurate guy. That's well, not time. yeah, and, and not only that, Jeff, Mike White last year when they had more of a wide-open scheme uh, under Brom when he was coaching at Western Kentucky, obviously he went to Purdue this past year and really helped turn them around very quickly. But uh, last year at Western Kentucky, they had one of the most prolific offenses in the country, and a huge part of it was because Mike White was the single most accurate deep ball passer as 20-plus yard passes the single most accurate deep ball passer, pro or college, outside of, I think, 2012 Aaron Rodgers. So you think about that offense in Jacksonville with the play-action passing, how, how perfect a fit is that? It's absolutely ideal. And, I yeah, I, I think the fit is absolutely perfect for them. If, if they're, I wouldn't bat an eye if they were willing to take him with their pick at the end of the first round, which again that that always makes sense too for a quarterback because you get the the fifth year option, so that's something you always look for at the end there. But yeah, I, I love that fit there. Honestly, I love the fit in Cleveland too. I I love the idea of going out, getting one of these free agents uh, that are real viable players or, or or trading for one of these quarterbacks that are available. Uh, th- this is a really unique year from the quarterback perspective. I think there's a lot of risk that's going to end up burning at least two or three teams at the top of the draft. But you've got a lot of free agents that are decent. You have multiple guys on day two, like a Mike White, that to me are smarter, safer options that you can develop in, in tune with a free agent that is able to come in and perform immediately for you. I, I think that's a real viable option for Cleveland. Yeah, it's a tough year if you're the middle of the wrong quarterback quarterback because you know normally you know you know there's always a job waiting for you, but it's it's rare that you're gonna get, you know, guys with a ton of experience available in free agency and a very deep quarterback draft class. So it's gonna be interesting how all that plays out. But we are going to go the pass rusher route this evening. Um I guess, you know, you brought up Miles Garrett. Um Obviously, Emmanuel Agba, do you not see the pass rushing ability coming to a, a solid level? I mean, obviously, it's not like we can just write these was, guys I mean, off. Because before I want to say <laughs> no, but I just want to say, because it was tough, because everyone enjoyed the thought of the two of them, but we never right. really saw the two of them, you know, I mean, they played, it was a very, very minuscule amount. Yeah, I, I, I think they should, I should be... Say. No, and, uh, I mean, he's still got a lot of snaps in him. He still had over 450 snaps played this past year. So, you know, you got to see quite a bit of him. Only had 21 total pressures, Agba did. And uh, he was he was a weird guy because he graded well for us coming out of Oklahoma State, but no one really liked him on film. It's it's a, kind of a hard thing to to really explain because it kind of went against our grading in, in terms of what we thought of him as a prospect. But I just didn't see any level of consistency. I, I didn't see a lot of nuance to his game. And uh, I think that's kind of transitioned over, at least early in his career. It still remains to be seen, but the, but the reality is you need to get as many pass rushers as possible. So... If that's getting edge guys, that's fine. I have no issue with that. I don't think they need to be married to Ogba. Uh, interior 
pass rush presence, they absolutely need that. And, and that's why I would make a push for a guy like Maurice Hurst. Uh, even though, you know, they have Danny Shelton, uh, Joby's a guy they need to be playing a lot more. They didn't give him nearly enough reps this year. I want to see what he does in pass rush. Which but. is funny is because with Joby, they were the smart ones in the room who took him. Yeah, but, I mean, and then they didn't use him. Well, I mean, you're 0-11, 0-12. I mean, and I'll tell you right now, there's a little baby Warren sap to him when you see him on the field. But no, 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 let's stick with the rotational basis because, you know, maybe we'll go 1-15. Maddening in December. Jeff, I got to tell you, it it was maddening immediately to me. I, the week one, the first game I graded that I was responsible for was Pittsburgh-Cleveland, was that game. And, in fact, I had... uh, I had uh, Cleveland's defense against Pittsburgh's offense, so that was that was my responsibility that game. And every time he was in, I was like, "He's already making plays. Like they've found something here." And I mean, you don't want to just say off a few reps that uh, you know you clicked on a guy, but rookies don't just come in and do what he was doing. And he graded extremely well uh, against the run all year long. Uh, did some reasonable things on the pass rush and the snaps he had, but he had 300 total snaps. This past season, and he only missed, uh, I, I'm assuming he missed two games uh, due to injury because looking at his game log. Yeah. But, you know, what? why is he getting only 300 total snaps on defense this year? It just makes no sense to me, especially when you're a team, as you said, 0-16. You know, why are you not developing this guy better? It's, you know, it, it was, you know, I mean, they did a lot of that. And, you know, there was a lot of head-scratching. You know, hopefully that's going to change. You know, I hope they're not, you know, pointing the finger, you know, and putting him in that, well, there's not enough talent in here thing. But we're going to go on. Uh, I guess the best place to start. So how much of a premium do you think needs to be put on this? Are we talking, you know, Bradley Chubb? You know, obviously Harold Landry. You know, I'm not sure PFF-wise are these are the two guys at the top of the grade. But is this how much of a premium the focus should be on, you know, players of those ilk? I, I would not bat an eye if uh, one of those two ended up in a Browns uniform, and presumably you'd have to take one of those with the first-round pick, whether it's number one or number four. Or moving out of or, or moving back, which is which is probably the more likely option uh, of the two. I wouldn't bat an eye at all with that. Uh, that would make a ton of sense to me. I mean, they could trade back and go the defensive tackle route, too, again, if it's Hurst. Even... Even uh, Vita Vea, I mean, you're not going to get as much pass rush from Vea, but he can still do it, and you're really solidifying that run defense. I think the run defense is is pretty close if they have top personnel on on the field. So if you can get on the field at the same time, Danny Shelton, Ogan Joby, uh, Miles Garrett, and then add in a Vita Vea, I, I I think you've got a really strong front and a, and a foundation there to really work from. So that's an option there. Uh, as far as pass rushers, another guy that I like a lot that's going to drop because of medical. Obviously, you got to do a little homework on him, but I think it's just more of the timing of it. That's the issue with him. Duke Edgy at four from Wake Forest. He's a guy that can play multiple positions, uh, both on the line with his hand you know, off the line of scrimmage. I, I think he can do a number of things. Uh, not a super explosive guy, but a real effective guy at the line of scrimmage. I think that's a guy you can develop and probably not have to spend a high pick on either. Uh, so I, I think there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. Certainly they could do it at the top of the draft, but I think there's going to be some guys later as well. 
Well, I mean, and that's the thing. You, you know, you have those three picks from 33 to 65, and everyone seems to be settling into they really like, you know, the second round type of guys. So for all you Cleveland fans, this is a coup de grace. I mean, you've got four picks from 33 to 65. Um, it's funny that you brought up, uh, you know, Duke Edge of four. Obviously, you know, it's going to hurt him that nobody's going to have any numbers on him. I think, but it, it seems funny, though, that all of a sudden now, Wake Forest guys seem to be a program that guys are getting high on. I know the safety Bates is a guy who's getting a ton of, you know, pub right right now. But as far as, you know, uh, Landry and obviously Chubb, you know, where do you put them? Uh, top 20, top 10, you know, on each guy? Well, Landry is an interesting story just because he didn't have nearly as productive a year this past season as he did in 2016. That's why you should always go always go when the flame is hot. Always go when the flame is hot. Yeah, you just don't know, especially with injuries. And, you know, you in general, you have a finite shelf life. You just don't know what's going to happen. I would have no problem taking either of those two guys top ten. I think they're both worth it. Uh, Chubb was just fantastic in every facet this year. Uh, he, I think he had 55 total pressures, 10 sacks, 17 hits, just just way over the top in terms of his production. Was equally as good against the run, uh, and he's he's got the big body you like too. So he he's not just a, like a speedy edge guy. You're going to get a little more of that from Harold Landry. But uh, and, and Landry is the guy you take for the pure speed and explosiveness. So. Maybe they don't go that route because of Garrett. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem pairing the two together. I, I think that just, you know, if you, you're just completely wreaking havoc if you got two guys like that together. So I wouldn't have an issue like that. But uh, Bradley Chubb to me would make a lot of sense as well. And that's the biggest thing. I mean, because if you're going to, and, you know, Greg Gabriel brought this up the other day, maybe they don't go quarterback at one. And I'm not picking on Greg. I mean, obviously Greg's got the track record he has. You know, because maybe they don't view it as the best player. But look, you're going to take your quarterback at one because you want to take the quarterback of your choice. Don't take it. You're not going to wait down to four and say, oh, okay, well, we kind of liked him enough, so we'll take him. So I think that puts four very much in play, which opens things wide up because then you can drop back and now you're targeting a guy you want, whether it's a Landry, you know, where it's, whether it's a Chubb. And, you know, for me to not speak ill on either one of them because. Landry destroyed my Seminoles in 16, and Chubb destroyed my Seminoles and dishonored the, the midfield logo in 17, but I couldn't do anything to it. That's how good they played. I mean, like, it was just like, well, you want to know what? You balled so well. I mean, and you want to know what any Florida State fan who had a problem with it? You can't, because they did it for 30 years. I mean, once they, I mean, you have oh, a yeah. day. You want to dishonor somebody. Well, you want to know, uh, damn it, you kind of did it. You kind of earned it. So, I mean, you know, these are, I, I do think, and I completely agree that they are the best in show, but then there's also the thought that Cleveland can go the, and I'm going to go, you know, give a, a name type of guy in Elvis, uh, Elvis Dumerville route, where you're just talking straight nickel, dime, pass rusher, guys that you can bring in. And I think this class offers some of those guys. Um, obviously, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll only say the last name because we're still struggling on the first name. Uh, Akaranko uh, from Oklahoma. Yeah. That's a guy I love. And uh, to me, he has to go somewhere in the middle of the first round. So to me, oh, he would be guy. a trade-back okay. guy. I, I really do because he's a guy that can 
to me, he's definitely not a one-trick pony. He can do so many different things. He can play off the ball. Uh, I, I think he can fill in any of the linebacker positions in any scheme. Uh, but, I mean, he's very skilled as a pass rusher, plays low to the ground, has explosiveness, knows how to use his hands to set up a variety of moves, has a, a nasty inside cut that uh, he just destroys guys with. That, to me, is a guy that belongs somewhere in the first round. Now, there's a number of those guys that are kind of hybrid guys, but, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the way the league's going. And you look at... Uh, Look at a team like Detroit sitting at number 20. They don't really have that edge presence, and they certainly don't have a hybrid guy for the new Matt Patricia scheme. And Matt Patricia, obviously, coming from New England, he's going to be a guy that wants to be able to adapt and potentially change his scheme quite a bit every week. So you're going to really value a guy like him. Uh, Now, if you're looking at guys that you're looking at long-term development, that maybe only are doing one thing well right now, that's Marcus Davenport from uh, UTSA to me right now. That's a guy, he he struggled pretty much all week at Senior Bowl, graded off the charts, but it was clear he just doesn't really know what he's doing yet in terms of leverage. But then they unleashed him in the game, and I think he had like six total pressures, including a sack and a, and a fumble recovery. So I, I there's a lot to like about him but not a guy you're going to be able to just throw on the field immediately and get top-end production like you can get out of a Miles Garrett. But again, as you said, especially with that schedule, you're looking at a four- or five-win season from Cleveland. So while, yes, you want to start winning at some point, and ownership, let's be honest, they haven't been very patient, and that's a big part of the problem. That's a big part of the mess that they're in right now. But at the same time, you've you know you do have a, a bit of a new regime coming in. You can afford to take you know a, a, a little bit of a flyer on a guy like that. Obviously, we're not going to want to take a guy like that in the top ten. But I, I think the long term potential on a guy like that it, it it would make him make some sense as well if they were trading back a bit. Um, Josh, it seems the you know the purple elephant in the room, purple, you know, monkey in the room, Arden Key. What is to make of him? I mean, I think a lot of it's going to come down to interviews at the Combine, but Arden Key, he just seems like, he's like the yo-yo. Some guys want to put him top 15, some guys have him after pick 50. He seems like a very difficult eval or a guy to get a grasp on, you know, and look, it's... You always want to say, you know, it's getting late early for Arden Key. It might be getting late early. Yeah, even within uh, PFF, we're usually pretty uh, streamlined with guys we like, guys we don't like, and and a lot of that is based on on our grading. That certainly helps us. But, you know, if you were to talk to Mike Renner, I I think he's a guy that absolutely loves Arden Key. But, you know, you talk to me or Jordan and – probably some of the other guys it's just a lot of inconsistency on film i get the explosiveness and and just the natural talent and all that but it hasn't been consistently on the field and when you have issues off the field and it seems to spill over into on the field play that really worries me that's when i start to get really concerned about uh your long-term viability at the next level i that's not a guy that I'd be willing to stake a claim against unless, 
you for some reason got him really cheap and you weren't getting him cheap because the flags are so bad that that's why he's dropping. So that, as you said, that's a really tough situation. Probably not a guy I'm willing to go all in on. And that's the interesting thing. So you put like a price tag on it. So third round? Yeah, I mean, if if they felt comfortable with him as a person with one of their three seconds, I, I could see that. Okay, that's fine. Because the reality is every, every draft you're looking to hit on two or three guys, and obviously Cleveland needs to hit on a little bit more than two or three guys, especially with the number of picks. But if you end up getting a guy like that, at at that round, you're I mean you're doing really well, and I don't think the risk is quite as much as you would elsewhere. Now, I mean, there's plenty of cases of, of guys like that that have panned out. There are a lot of issues with Justin Houston coming out of Georgia, and that's why he went in the second round, and he's been an absolute stud in Kansas City. So, uh, and you've heard little of off-field issues with him. So, I mean, th- there's plenty of, of cases. the The reality is. It works both ways. You just don't know how these kids are going to respond once they're getting an NFL paycheck. And in many cases, and this is something that was always told to me by uh, by Russ Landy when I worked with him at GM Junior Scouting, and uh, I think it was something told to him uh, when he worked in the NFL. Some of these kids, they are suddenly making more money than their entire history of their family combined. Exactly. Think, think about that. And so you don't know how you're going to act with that. So, I mean, it, it may completely turn them around, or sometimes they go they go off the completely off the deep end. So you just don't know. Well, I mean, if you're going to get in trouble with scholarship money, you're worried about what guys are going to get in trouble with once you know they have no idea how many zeros are at the end of it. Yeah. So that was always something. Uh, yeah. A couple of names here I do want to hit on. Uh, Jeff Holland out of Auburn. He's interesting. He kind of strikes me a little bit as like the old Pittsburgh Steeler traditional edge where he might not have been the guy that got the sacks all the time and had those numbers, but kind of played well off the edge and sometimes aided to a lot of other guys getting the sacks. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a, a solid player. Again, not a guy you're going to have to spend a super high pick on. So, I mean, with, with, with Cleveland... You've got so many different holes that you still have to fill. Well, yes, you have some players, but you have so many different pieces you need that if you can get a guy like a Jeff Holland, who he's a little bit undersized, uh, but as far as being an outside linebacker, I think he'd be fine. I mean, he had a lot of production last year. I mean, he had well over 60 uh, pressures. I mean, he had, and he had, uh, I think he had a streak of five games where he had like seven or so sacks. I mean, he was a really, really productive guy at a big-time school. I, that you know, If you can get that guy later, and instead of getting the high-priced edge rusher in the first round and instead go maybe your interior guy to pair with the quarterback, uh, maybe you go your, your boy at uh, Florida State, Derwin oh. James, just because he, he could do everything and why not just take the absolute best guy? I, I, I think you go that route. I think it makes sense. Uh, but before we get to some listener questions, um, I cannot let you go. Josh Josh Sweat, Florida State. Um, tough spot for him. Uh, you know, High school five-star recruit, recruit. 
terrible knee injury. I think he's gotten a little bit better, a little bit more mobile with each passing year. Um, obviously, medicals are going to be huge for him at the combine. Mm-hmm. But Josh Sweat. Yeah, I he started to play a little bit better this year, especially it was a, in terms I, of playing the run. It, it was a tough year for all these Noles. I think once they lost the Alabama game, I think there was some mental checking out. And oh, there's no question guys, about that. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, the the Boston College game was the best example of that. <laughs> uh, that was a game that I graded, and really, in my opinion, everyone on that roster except their two top guys, uh, the aforementioned uh, all everything safety, and uh, I, I thought Derek Nottie yep. played his heart on in that game too. It, it just seemed like everyone had checked out and just played well below their level. Nobody um, wanted to get a knee injury. No, they didn't. And and quite honestly, Josh Sweat was part of that. I, he didn't have a single pressure. I understand that Boston College is uh, uh, certainly running the ball down their throats all that game, but uh, I, I just didn't think he did very much. He just had a couple of stops. Didn't really affect the game that much. But then he has... You know, these huge games, like he did the following week against Syracuse, he had eight pressures. Uh, against Florida, he had six pressures in that game. So you see the flashes with him. And again, a guy that probably because of the injuries, because of the inconsistencies, you're probably not going to have to take him until day three. That's the kind of guy you take a risk on at that stage. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um and, I mean, everything I'm seeing and I'm reading, you know, through the Florida State, everything I follow is he's going to test well. The thing is, is I don't think anybody's got a question about whether or not he can get north-south. I think it's a lot of it is, you know, how much agility he's got from east to west. Sure. Um, still needs, you know, some work, obviously, on secondary pass rush moves. You know, the fact that you may run, you know, a four-five-eight or a 4-6 is fantastic. But um, NFL tackles, they can handle that. So, look, you need to be able to counter, you need to be able to swim, you know, be able to rip. Uh, we're going to give you a couple of listener questions here. Look, uh, everybody's invited. Look, everybody loves the NASCAR package. Uh, you know, who are some guys that can do, you know, obviously we know Miles Garrett was able to do that. Give a couple of names here that, you know, pass rusher-wise, and this doesn't have to be, you know, identified to Cleveland, but any pass rusher that can line up anywhere in the four positions in a nickel or a dime front and can still, you know, work within a defensive unit and be able to get home? Uh, guy. Well, we talked about a lot of guys that I think can line up all over the place and, and do anything. Uh, one guy that created extremely well for us, and he's got a good bit of size on him, too, so he can put his hand on the ground off the edge, and I think he probably can rush from the interior as well. Uh, how about Justin Lawler? Uh, from SMU. Uh, he's a super, super productive guy. Uh, I think his first four or five games of the season, he had something like six sacks, 10 hits, 14 hurries, just something absurd like that when uh, they're playing, in some cases, their best level of competition. Uh, I, I think a, a guy like that who is 6'4", 265, that's what he was billed at coming into the season. That's a guy that can do a lot of different things for you. Uh, and he also played the run as well. He, he did well in that capacity too. So that's the kind of guy I'm taking a look at there. Okay, guys, listen to Lockdown Browns, episode 162. Uh, guys, now's a great time to go ahead and subscribe with that five-star review. Uh, you know, come on back for more anytime. Always a pleasure to have you. 
Josh, uh, one more before we let you go here. We're going to make you the Cleveland Browns GM here. We're going to put you on the clock. Um, and it's fun to do this because most of the time people, oh, well, give me your pick. You know, I've had, you know, Browns writers come on and I'm asking them to, you know, give me first four or five picks because there's that many yeah. close to the top. But one in four, uh, look, uh, you know, obviously people want to know the quarterback they think Cleveland should take or would take at one. So go ahead. Well, if, if I'm forced to take quarterback and if I'm the GM, I'm doing everything I can to to sign a Case Keenum, to sign a Kirk Cousins. I would, lo- I would love Kirk Cousins, and I wouldn't yeah. have a problem with Case Keenum because I, I think a veteran quarterback coming in here would be perfect because there is so much stinking youth. And it's not a knock on these quarterbacks oh, yeah. because I like them all, but it would be like, you know, it would almost be like, well, Dan's here. Okay, let's go, you know, that type of thing. Well, Cousins is a perfect guy for that, too. And obviously, they can afford to pay him. It's not an issue. And in terms of personnel, it's not a bad situation for him, either. We talked about the line. The wide receivers are insane. I mean, it could be a great wide receiver court with a legit quarterback. They they could front-load the deal like Jimmy Garoppolo's. Yes. I mean, mean, you have to sell him. I mean, and look, I mean, I'd love for it. I truly would because I think it would be a perfect fit. But everything you hear with Kirk Cousins is he's doing his homework. He's crossing it. I mean... And if you really look at it, and if you can get outside of the fact that it's Cleveland, and you can get outside of the fact that they're 0-16, it's not that terrible of a place to go. It's not. Right. And it's close to home for him. He's from West Michigan, so you know it's only but, a, but it's only a few hours from home for him. getting him to buy into. But. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's no question about that, and that's going to be tough. But, hey, look at, look at Jacksonville. You know, they – they're really in the same position with a worse, worse roster three years ago, but they had all that money and they were able to bring in basically whoever they wanted because they were able to pay him. And uh, it, they almost went to the Super Bowl this year in, in large part because they were able to really, yeah, they really should have. Uh, but it's it's in large part because of the free agents they had. In fact, I would argue that down the stretch, it was their first two round picks that that failed them. In the end of that game, but uh, that's that's another story. Uh, so what I would do is I would take, I would want to sign one of those two quarterbacks, uh, especially Case Keenum. He's a guy that I think you can sign, and again, they're not afraid to give him money. But at the same time, they can draft one of those other guys in the second round. Uh, they can draft that Mike White. Uh, they can they can draft Loletta from Richmond in round two. I've started watching him today and there's a lot to like about him. Obviously he uh, was kind of one of the hot names coming out of Mobile this year. Uh, Luke Falk. Everyone loves him in terms of the NFL, in terms of what he can do mentally. Oh, thank God. It's um, I've yeah. always been a Luke Falk. And I, I, I tell you what, I, he was in such a tough spot going down to Mobile. And the fact that he actually went down there showed well because I was waiting for everybody to rip the guy for, if something went wrong, knowing that all that he went through, you know, the, the 10 days going down there. But I mean, Oh, yeah, to, no question about that, yeah. You know, and I like Luke Falk, and, you know, you know, oh, Mike Leach benched him. Well, Mike Leach can be a pain in the ass sometimes, so I don't Well, also, the, the broken him. hand, I think, really, really hurt him this year, not just physically, but I, I just think it really limited his game. And, uh, I mean, that offense, they already didn't have any of their weapons from the prior year except for the two running backs, and those really were the featured guys. 
this season. I, I think it was just it was just a rough year for him. Uh, he was a guy I loved off last year, but uh, it, it was it was interesting. I'll tell you a quick story uh, from Senior Bowl. So it, it's just basically warmups, and the four quarterbacks are are talking with the quarterback coach, and they're basically just working on their drop steps, going through their cadence, uh, calling out plays, and. It goes down the line, and each each one of the other three, they ask a quick question about the order of things or the terminology. And I, I, I can't even begin to tell you what they're saying, but it's like, you know, it's, they're stringing together like seven or eight different concepts. Yellow dog, boon, yellow right. Yeah, exactly. And they get to him, and coach, quarterback coach uh, for, uh, I, I think, I guess it would have been Denver. Yep. Um, spouts off the most ridiculous one yet. I mean it was like twenty words and boom, instant recall. No questions. He had it he had it down pat. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And I it was it was really impressive to see him work and I and I kept hearing about how everyone loves him for where his football head is at and I think that showed off his twenty sixteen film. Uh one of the other things he did that's very important for him is he showed a little bit more mobility at uh during senior ball practices there's a one point where he's actually rolling out and scrambling to the boundary and he ended up hurling over uh a barrier which no one's asking him to run downfield but part of his issue this at the end by the end of this year is he was so banged up he was just an absolute statue backfield so you see things like that and you're like okay that's a guy that's not going to be taken day one that i would rather pair with a veteran who's done some really good things, a Nick Foles, uh, a Case Keenum. I can pair that guy, and I can develop that guy, and I think he has every bit the opportunity to be as or more productive than guys like Josh Allen, uh, guys like Sam Darnold, who was just an absolute turnover machine this year. Uh, The whole quarterback class at the top of the draft just scares me, so... I'd want to do that at quarterback, and I would just I'd just take the top two guys with those two picks. I would take Derwin James, number one. I would take Maurice Hurst, number four, and call it good. I, I think that's completely transforming your defense if you do that, and yet you still address your quarterback situation because you can take one on day two to, to, that has a legit chance to develop, and you have the veteran who's not just uh, Josh McCown's stopgap. He can legit play the game. So a Michigan alum is catering to a Florida State guy. Josh, I love that. <laughs> I do. But Josh, um, obviously, look from you know the way you guys do things, it seems you know taking your you know PFF hat off here, it seems the consensus would be if Cleveland's taking a quarterback at one, it's Josh Rosen, it is Sam Darnold, it is Baker Mayfield. Of those three, gun to your head. Which one of those guys do you take? Yeah, definitely taking the PFF hat on because I, 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 virtually I, everyone I else, know. you know where we're going with that. You've seen all the graphics. I I, I'm going Josh Rosen. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, Watching Josh throw the ball, I, I think he looks like an established NFL veteran. You know, uh, I think Mike Mayak said he was statuesque recently, which I have a hard time buying because we're talking about a guy who at 16 years old was the top tennis player in the state of California. So it's kind of hard to say statuesque 
and think of the guy as an elite tennis player. You know, like you know, like Odell Beckham was an elite soccer player. You're not you're not good at tennis if you can't move. I'm assuming I'm not really good at it, but I think you got to be able to go baseline to baseline. I hope that's the correct terminology. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, stuff like that. And it, you know, obviously every one of these guys, you know, at this point they get their critiques for whatever reason. You know, Josh Rosen because he's outspoken and smart and intelligent, he's getting a little bit of you know stuff dropped on him. Yeah. You know. But, you know, to watch, I mean, go back and watch, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, UCLA versus, you know, USC. And everybody had Sam as top dog. And I, w- I will admit it, I started this season with Sam Darnold. But everybody told us, you know, oh, Sam's working on the mechanics. He's trying to make it better. He's trying to avoid the turnovers. It only got worse. And then you watch Josh Rosen, and it's just like, well, this is what every quarterback should look like. Over yeah. the top. Step up into it. You know the footwork is fantastic. He's, he's. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I would argue, I would counter the argument that uh, he's statuesque. With quite on the contrary, I think he's always in phase because his footwork's so good. He always has his feet underneath him. He he's always pointed in the right direction. That's going to help his accuracy, his velocity, his consistency, all of that is going to be helped by his footwork. So, and I don't, I mean, I've watched enough of him to know that I don't question his athleticism at all. That's just not an issue in any way. I mean, he's a guy that can, they can come in and play immediately because he's playing that pro style system. I don't care if your quarterback coach is, uh, is, is Frank Reich, or if, if you're coached by Jeff Fisher, he's a guy that can come in and play right away. Uh, regardless of scheme, because he has that base around him. Um, I Is he going to make mistakes at times? Is he going to force balls he shouldn't? Yeah. But some of that is he has the arm and the creativity to be able to attempt some of that. And I, I think, yes, there are going to be times when he's going to turn the ball over. But if you're saying we are not spending – free agent money on a quarterback we are drafting a guy number one then to me it should be him and not and not uh not the oklahoma kid yeah well i mean the other thing with josh though is is everybody he's not looking to escape the pocket because he understands that he's not a a uber athlete where he's not gonna be able to pick up 20 yards you know it's you know i'm trying to do everything i can to throw the ball to succeed and you know that's maybe where it gets slept on and maybe he gets labeled statuesque which is the old school thing? You stay in that pocket forever. Either get sacked or complete the pass. You know, yeah, that type of thing. Uh, but guys, Lockdown Browns episode one sixty two. Uh, I cannot thank Josh enough. Uh, one of my favorite guys. We'll definitely get him back here closer to April. Follow Josh at PFF Josh. Uh, you know, d- double duty. Obviously, PFF College Pro Football Focus. You know, handles the pro aspect of it. Uh, you know, maybe things will die down a little bit for Josh if there's no football games between a and between now and April. I'm absolutely lying. It's probably ten times busier for him. <laughs> uh, Josh, anything you want to you know tell the guys to keep an eyes out? You know, any listeners to keep an eye out for? Yeah, we've got our uh, draft guide. It's coming out soon, so keep an eye uh, out on that. Uh, you'll certainly see it on PFF underscore College uh, at also the main account at PFF. We'll give updates on that, and that's and it's a fluid guide too. Uh, which is really the best part about it because you're going to get it in PDF format and then it's going to be updated as as we go through and and regrade some guys we start to watch some others a little bit more so it's 
it's uh, a great combination of, yes, our, a lot of our data is going to be in there, but at the same time, you're going to get uh, really good evaluations as well. And guys, check out for his podcast with uh, Jordan Plosher, one of my other friends over there at PFF. Uh, you know, guys, keep coming those out. I like those. I really do. And it's funny you guys ribbing each other. Uh, but Lockdown Browns, episode 162. Guys, cannot thank you so much for all the listens. I appreciate you as always. Uh, we'll be coming back at it this week. Look, uh, you know, just because it's February, there's no live games. We got lots of work to do. Uh, follow the show at Lockdown Browns. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. You know, guys, always a pleasure. Let's go Browns.